All right, Bizzlecast listeners, I'm extremely proud to present this Bizzlecast, which is the Bizzlecast film commentary for the 2012 film adaptation of Les Miserables, also known affectionately as Les Mis. This is a property that has been extremely important to me for my entire life. I saw the play in the 80s, not long after it came out, when I was a little kid. Made a lifelong impression on me. I've loved the music my entire life, and I was extremely, extremely nervous, to say the least, when this movie was announced and then released, even though the cast seemed amazing, that they were going to screw it up. But not only did they not screw it up, But this is about as faithful of an adaptation as you could possibly ask for and a beautiful piece of art on its own. I know, you know, it wasn't, you know, A-plus ratings across the board from either critics or fans, but, uh, you know, this really hit home for me and, and to the point where I listened to this version of the soundtrack even more than the original, uh, you know, which, like I said, has been so important to me for my entire life. Um, when I saw Les Mis on Broadway as a kid in the 80s, it left a massive impression on me. Um, but despite that, yeah, I think this film was the best picture uh, in 2012 in a year where there was a ton of Best Picture nominees uh, that were deserving. And Argo, which I really didn't like, which won, um, was up against Beast of the Southern Wild and Django Unchained, Life of Pi, Lincoln, Silver Linings, Playbook, Zero Dark Thirty, all really good films. But to me, this was the best, and I'm highly biased. But I also think the fact that I'm highly biased and thought it should have been Best Picture um, you know, uh, carry some weight, uh, within my own mind, uh, as to how successful this was. I don't want to spend too much time on the intro. I could talk about this forever, but this was one of the most inspired castings ever. Um, from the heartbreaking, uh, performance of Anne Hathaway, which won her an Oscar as Fontaine, to the deliciously evil Sasha Baron Cohen and Helena Bonham Carter as Mr. and Mrs. Tenardier, the evil innkeepers. However, Despite Hathaway being universally acclaimed, despite Hugh Jackman for the most part being universally acclaimed, and he won a Golden Globe and was nominated for an Oscar, and even though Russell Crowe wasn't particularly well received, at least his singing, I know a lot of people who didn't like his singing but liked his dramatic performance, I loved his dramatic performance and actually defend his singing in this movie. Um, You know, it may not speak to you, it may not be incredibly powerful, but it is is subtle in the way that a lot of the characters in this movie are more subtle than they are in the play because you just can do that on film with close-ups and the way the narrative is is structured. I think Russell Crowe has sort of a soft, soothing, crooning voice that that I find very appealing. And from a technical standpoint, there's really nothing wrong with his voice. Now, if it doesn't move you, I totally understand that. But he kills his two main songs, Stars and and the Javert Suicide uh, song towards the end. Uh, I think he kills. However, what makes this movie all-time great is what I call the little three of Amanda Seyfried as the older Cosette, Eddie Redmayne as Marius, and Samantha Barks as Eponine. Now, in the play, Marius and Cosette are the happy, you know, ever after couple among all this misery that's going on in France at the time. 
uh, and are very two-dimensional at best, but because of Seyfried and Redmayne, they, they make them extremely compelling characters. Now, Eponine is very compelling in the play, uh, and is a truly three-dimensional Broadway character as, as far as Broadway characters go, um, but Samantha Barks does an interpretation. Now, she was playing Eponine already, I believe, in England, um, you know, in the major Les Mis productions. She brings a, a filmic interpretation of the character that's even more appealing and heartbreaking than in the play, which is hard to believe was possible. This movie is almost impossibly faithful to the legendary theatrical production, um, but I still think it manages to pave its own way into film history uh, in the hearts of those of us who love this story. Now, a couple quick notes before I jump into the countdown, which is that when I recorded this commentary, I didn't pre-watch the movie because I'd seen it a bunch in the theater and I thought I remembered it pretty well. But I didn't really remember the behind-the-scenes stuff. And so you'll hear me in the movie not quite sure about you know which uh, scenes are being sung live and which aren't. Uh, after the fact, I went back and fact-checked and realized and remembered that you know there was really live voice recording through 95% of the movie. They used extremely expensive and high-tech lavalier mics. Those are the little ones you see on TV with a talk show host that are kind of you know clipped onto their uh, the collar of their shirt or whatever. Um, they managed to hide them in the movie. They use some boom mics, which is the ones that you hold overhead above where the camera is shooting. But it's mostly lavalier mics, and it's almost all live singing and it's even more obvious when you watch a movie like pitch perfect which i released recently my commentary for pitch perfect and i love pitch perfect even though it's a non-traditional musical as i talk about because they don't you know talk about the fact or they do talk about the fact that they're singing you know it, it, they're aware that they're singing within the story even though the music's extremely important to them but it's so obvious that they're lip syncing in pitch perfect which is exactly how it should have been in this movie and some people didn't like it. You know, I know reviewers who specifically, you know, wanted it to be more polished, but the skill of the sound engineers combined with the actors slash singers um, slash performers, I'm, you know, this is a feat that I'm not sure will ever be replicated, um, uh, at least not in, in the modern era until sound technology advances. I do not know how they did this. It, you know, it's so immediate, it's so live, it's so in your face. And with a $65 million budget, it's, you know, hard to see how they pulled this off. And it starts in the opening scene with Valjean and Javert in the shipyard. And you're going, you know, this looks like a $200 billion movie. And that is just a credit to Academy Award winning director, Tom Hooper, who won an Academy Award for The King's Speech and did an unbelievable job on this. But, you know, even though there are tiny choreography changes here or there, there's only one new song. They don't really cut out any songs. They cut out parts of a couple just to save time. I mean, the play's a full three hours. This is like 2.20, so this is actually shorter than the play, but it captures the spirit of the play in terms of its themes of mercy and pity and love and democracy and freedom and revolution and what it means to sin and that sometimes our perceived sins are way worse than our actual sins, whether you're talking about Jean Valjean or Javert. Um, you know, among a thousand, you know, incredibly poetic uh, and, 
you know, revolutionary um, lines written into this in the original production, I, I think the greatest is to love another person is to see the face of God. And that really sums up the entire movie. They picture heaven as a place of freedom and revolution. I was pulling for best picture with this movie in a year of, of great movies, as I was saying. And, uh, you know, as, as I say, as I say in the movie, you know, lame is like a sexual experience. You have to go through all the motions. Sometimes the middle is the best. Sometimes the end is the best, but it is highly stimulating from beginning to end. It is a spiritual play and movie that believes in benediction of, of the soul and forgiveness. And, I, you know, I, I just think this is transcendent. If you like music and great movies across the board, I'm going to jump into the countdown now. Um, after that long intro, you know how it works at this point for the most part. Uh, you know, I usually say put on 5 to 10% uh, ambient sound. For this one, you definitely want like 10 to 20%. You wouldn't be able to hear the music the whole time. And, you know, I'm listening very loud myself. So you'll still be able to hear what I'm saying. You really want to line this one up as close as possible because I do sing a little bit. I try to be restrained. I cut some of it out and reduce the volume on some of it, but I just couldn't help myself. Unlike the Pitch Perfect podcast, I just, I, I had to sing to some of this. And so if it lines up, it'll make me sound really good. And if it doesn't, you know, it'll make me just sound okay. But that's really a small part of the podcast. So ha- definitely have on some good sound and music, get the subtitles going. If you have the option, get the closed caption subtitles, um, which I'm saying for all these musicals like Les Mis or Pitch Perfect, because you get all the lyrics as you know as well as the talking. I mean, in this movie, it's all lyrics essentially, so you need to get the song lyrics going on. So get the full subtitles going for this, and now line up your DVDs or Blu-rays or iTunes files or whatever to zero hours, zero minutes, zero seconds. I really timed this one as precisely as I could, so hopefully it'll line up. I will give you a second here. Okay, that's a second. And I'm going to count from three to one, and when I say go, you should hit play immediately and make sure there's no pauses or anything so it lines up uh, as perfectly as possible. So I hope you enjoyed this as much as I love this movie and love doing it, and I'm going to go into the countdown. All right, here we go. Three... Two, one, go. All right, folks. Welcome to the 2012 adaptation of Les Miserables, also known affectionately as Les Mis. Um, <laughs> I had extremely high expectations for this, and I knew based on what I was hearing in advance that it was probably going to be pretty good. But for all the Marvel properties out there, superhero stuff, even Star Wars. I really was worried that they were going to screw this up because as a child of the 80s, at least in my younger years, I was just old enough to see the play in its heyday in the mid to late 80s. I saw it very young. My parents let me see this very young. And it left a huge impression on me. I mean, the music I still listen to all these years. But it had been a while. And I'm sitting in the theater going, oh my god, what is this? Talk about something we couldn't have in a play. The ship looks amazing. So this movie had a budget of uh, in the $65 million range, which 
in terms of blockbuster films today is very low and considering they made like 450 million plus worldwide is one of the most successful um film ventures in the last few years not to mention soundtrack sales and dvds and so forth but they so nail this first uh, uh, um rendition there's Hugh Jackman they so nail this first rendition of look down I mean, this looks so spectacular, and I saw this many times in the theaters. This was like a Marvel movie for me. It was, um, you know, to see the Wolverine play Jean Valjean. Okay, here's Russell Crowe as Javert. For some reason, people have a problem with his voice. Even people who liked his performance, I really don't understand. It's a very soothing... uh, you know, almost like crooning kind of voice totally works for a more subtle portrayal of the character that we get here. And one of the themes will be that there is more subtlety um, in some of the over-the-top characters like Javert, and then there's more complexity to sort of bland characters in the play um, like Marius and even kind of older Cosette. We'll get to that. So the extent to which you know, stealing bread can, you know, get you into this position. This is beautiful. Look how many extras they have spraying rain everywhere. I mean, this scene alone must have cost a million or two with that ship and all the people here. So, you know, these are the two main characters. Let me turn up the music a little bit. Hope it's okay. Yeah, nice to see, nice to see slaves of different colors. Um, there's a French flag, beautiful, that they're stomping on in the water. Um, I'm never clear whether Valjean knows that his time is up uh, here. But five years for stealing bread. You needed it for the story. It never quite adds up. But this is Les Mis. And the subtle... Right, so this was really important to establish that Valjean has basically superhuman strength. And this is a superhero story. I keep finding new ways to make non-superhero movies superhero movies. But this was very important because this, you know, leads to his revelation later that he's hiding from Javert his strength. He threatened Javert with violence, you know, things like that. But what I like about this this uh, version of Javert, played by Russell Crowe, forget his singing, which I happen to love. Oh, here we go. Yep. Boom. Movie's going. Yes, it means I'm free. I'll try not to sing too much. Maybe I'll hum along in the background. Um, this is one of the great soundtracks of all time really an album i mean this is you know this music is good enough to have zero connection to an actual play in the play spectacular but i already buy these two characters i mean hugh jackman just completely owns this but he's a slightly more subtle version of valjean from the play some of that has to do with his singing um you know in the in the play you know it's such a huge operatic performance you need guys with quote-unquote stronger voices than these two in terms of projection. Yeah, here we go, 24601. They slow down the uh, the music here to emphasize how important this is. Now, I'm going to do some music commentary for this. I have to. That's part of the reason I'm doing this. But... 
I'm not going to be like, oh, this is major, this is minor, you know, this isn't three, this isn't four, like music theory shit. No, 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 no. I'm going to talk about the lyrics and the compositions and the way it fits with the story. Look at that filming. I mean, totally looks like major shipyard there. That slightly sideways shot of Javert. So, you know, if you're listening to his commentary, you've probably seen the m- movie at least once and certainly know the music. So I will dwell on it. Um... There are very few plot changes in this movie. Certainly, from a spiritual standpoint, nothing major has changed. Um, and they work in a little bit of the sort of talk singing, <laughs> you know. You're just kind of scatting on, on some lyrics without a real melody, but still fitting it within the overall structure. I mean, Hugh Jackman is just so much more vulnerable as Jean Valjean. It's something you can do in a movie that you can't do in a play, because unless you're sitting in the first few rows, you know, you can't really see emoting on the faces of actors the way we get here. Now, at two and a half hours, I think the movie is actually shorter than the play. Uh, I have to look that up. Great costumes throughout the movie. Great um, locations. I'm not where they. I'm not sure where they shot all this, um, but I never think it's not friends. And this in the mountains and you know feels a little bit like Kingdom of Heaven. It's this is still a medieval society, even though it's the 1800s. They treat their prisoners like slaves. They treat their poor people like animals. I also want to talk a little bit about the history. Oh, this is awful. The kid's throwing rocks at him. Um, because Victor Hugo witnessed this firsthand in 1832. Not this, but the major battle. And 30 years later, in 62, published a book about it that made what was a somewhat inconsequential, m- minor, and, and you know, very quickly dispatched rebellion. It literally lasted one day, which is why one day more is brilliant, if you know the history, the concept of one more day, you know. Um, but because of Victor Hugo, obviously, it has become a major historical um, event. More for symbolic reasons than anything else. Okay, so this is the original Jean Valjean from the play, and if you've listened to the soundtrack of the American cast, which is the, the main soundtrack that most people have, you can easily recognize his voice. And he's holding back, so he doesn't sound like Valjean, and so he sounds older. And also not to upstage Hugh Jackman, who has an amazing voice, but the guy, the original Valjean, is, you know, just spectacular. This was a perfect cameo guest role for him. Because, you know, this is Valjean in the early stages of trying to get his soul back, or at least in his own mind. I would argue he still hasn't done anything wrong. Um, right, the bishop isn't even upset that he's stuffing his face before they say the blessings. This is symbolic of Jackman not being, you know, quote-unquote a Christian, although he'll be converted soon. Now, what's interesting is Victor Hugo was very much a liberal Republican, as they call it, liberal Democrat, anti-monarchy and so forth. Now, you would normally think someone like that would make the church look horrible as you know, being essentially, uh, you know, I mean, we, we know that the church and monarchies were in bed together in Europe for like 2,000 years. Here he is stealing the silver. This is such an amazing part of the story. I remember seeing this the first time as a little kid. 
This the last thing you think is going to happen here is the bishop to just straight up lie to these guys. Um, but uh, Victor Hugo makes the the priesthood at least, or some of the priesthood look pretty good, at least in comparison with the horrible uh, kind of security state of the monarchy, uh, corrupt police force, and just general despotism towards the poor. And this was a great touch. It'd be one, and this sells the lie. This is brilliant on the part of the uh, bishop. He could say, "Yeah, yeah, yeah, I gave him all that stuff." Nope, I have some more stuff for you. That's and that's what sells the lie. This man has spoken true, and, and this is what we hope our religious leaders were like. And this is you know how we hope our religious leaders would be like. Not just full of mercy, but realizing that sometimes telling the truth is worse than telling a lie. He changes this man's life here. He doesn't care about the silver. He can always get more. I mean, the church is so rich. And it's sort of implied that the church is helping out the poor people in this uh, particular era when no one else is. So this takes place. Okay, right here, Cosette, who we'll meet in a little while, is still like a six, seven, eight-year-old. And then we jump ahead like 15 or 20 years. So it's very possible this is during Napoleon's rule, which lasted essentially from 1804 to 1814. And the revolution, which we will see later with Marius and the leader Enjolras and all the boys from the ABC club, you know, in reality, they romanticized the Napoleonic period because even though he was an emperor and going on foreign conquest for no particular reason... Um, oh, here comes the soliloquy. This is great. Um, he did bring liberal notions of secularism and equality and not exactly socialist redistribution of wealth, but at least a meritocracy where people could get ahead, that there could exist. I mean, he, he created the notion of middle class. Up until him, it was just the king, the nobles, a bunch of rich you know, folk, and then you know, most everyone else was just poor. And Napoleon's legacy really changed all of Europe. Um, as a Jewish person, it's hard not to admire him because minorities were given recognition under the law for the first time ever with Napoleon. So the, the Jews in Europe from like the Roman times until Napoleon were not even considered citizens. He changed all that. And if he had just resisted the urge to try and conquer Europe, he could have been you know, ruling for many, many decades, although he died quite young, I believe. Yeah, and so, you know, the, the conceit of, of the Valjean's character is that, you know, the guilt that he feels is significantly higher, in my opinion, than, you know, the guilt that he deserves to feel. Meaning, he hasn't really done anything that wrong. He stole bread, had to go to jail for five years as a kid, tried to escape, they gave him 14 more years, and now he had to steal just to survive... But he's admitting, yeah, his hatred. That, I think, is really the key. It's not these little acts of thievery or whatever that he's tormented by. It's his, his hatred of humanity and himself and the world. God, this is great. Look how this is filmed. So, guys, start talking about the filming of this movie. Oh, these, I don't know how they, you know, they recreated early 1800s France for two and a half hours with a $60 million budget. The director of this movie, whose name is escaping me, who directed the King's Speech, I believe, 
a movie which I didn't like as much as some people, but was very, very well shot and executed. Uh, he nailed this. You know, these moving shots. I mean, what's great about the Labus movie is it's really, really um, dedicated to preserving and reimagining the source material from a vocal and, and lyrical and thematic standpoint, but you can just do things with cameras in Hollywood. You just can't do with a play. And one of them is these more, you know, emotional, vulnerable, dramatic performances. I mean, it's not that there's no crying in the in the play, but this portrayal of Valjean here, and then when we see Fantine later, played by Anne Hathaway, it's so heartbreaking, and it helps that we're right up with them. This is awesome. Look at this. He's, yeah. Uh, ironically, he has to become a criminal again to become a good person. The stuff that they do with his teeth. So I always wonder, I think he, they filmed, okay, everything up till now, the first like 14 minutes, my guess is they filmed this last because he had to lose a lot of weight. And it's um, very difficult to lose weight, but it's also very difficult to gain weight. And since he's supposed to be a big, strong guy through most of this, here we go. Boom. Okay, so this is the first of an incredible level of... And this is the first of, you know, incredible transitions, both visually and musically, working totally in harmony. We saw the piece of paper flutter down. All of a sudden, we jumped to 1823. So this is when the, you know, revolution um, plot... I'm not even call it a subplot. The revolution plot starts... We see how horribly poor everyone is. So now Napoleon has been out of power for almost 10 years, and the king is just raping his own country, essentially. The Bourbon king, who was deposed in 1789 by the revolution, which then went wrong, and the monarchy came back, and then, then there was Napoleon, and now the monarchy's back again. Now the monarchy that's ruling now is not the monarchy that will be ruling in 1832 during the main part of the action in the second half. We'll get back to that. They sell this great, and they resist the urge to have thousands and thousands of people. Nope, you've got, you know, this this really horrific-looking tunnel where most of them probably sleep as well as shit and all sorts of stuff. And, you know, Victor Hugo did an amazing misdirect, which is based on history. Oh, God, this is horrible, this guy. Again, this guy plays the, the foreman a lot more subtly, but a lot more realistically, grabbing their butts and stuff. And, you know, there's this big misdirect where the, the poor are suffering the whole movie, and you're going, oh man, there's going to be a huge rebellion. And it doesn't materialize, and, and we're still a ways away, but I will get back to... Oh, man, look at Anne Hathaway. It's almost impossible to make her look, you know they try and dirty her up a little bit. Although the idea is that they do talk about Fantine so pure and clean. She takes care of herself. You know, she makes, you know, she's bathing more than these other women, I guess. But she's just such a great actress. I'm totally in. You know, and this is, this is totally in the spirit of, of end of the day for the play, but they could just do all sorts of shots. Um, oh, right, and she's wearing the pink dress to contrast herself, you know. And they, they basically, this is a blame the victim situation. They, they blame her for being so beautiful, essentially. And because 
because she doesn't give it to the foreman, the foreman takes it out on the other women, and so they take it out on her. This is what happens in poor, feudal societies. You know, again, and this is the case with the play, too, because it moves this fast, this particular scene. We have to assume that they've been sort of wanting to go after Fantine for quite a while now. You know, this wouldn't just happen out of nowhere. They've all been working together for a while. So, Monsieur Madeleine, who's also the mayor, a.k.a. Jean Valjean. They, they cut this part down a little bit. So that, right, he says, I run a business of repute. Javert happens to be there, so that the sort of political geography of the movie is never clear. So, you know, I mean, they make it seem like Javert in play and movie is spending his whole life just hunting down this guy who escaped from jail because he stole a loaf of bread. Now that's how they, that's how they sell this scene where he lets his horrible foreman, uh, take care of the situation. You think Jean Valjean, the new Jean Valjean, uh, this is great filming how creepy this woman is. She's spitting poison in this guy's ear and the boss wouldn't like it. This is, you know, when you have seen the play as many times as I did when I was younger, although it's been a while, and, you know, know the music and the story, and Fontaine's so great in the play, all the Fontaines, you know where this is going, and it's just horrifying, because you have to spend the first, like, not the first, but you have to spend, like, 10 to 15 minutes early on seeing her just, you know, completely fall into you know, self-destruction and prostitution and hatred and cynicism and suffering. This is great. Uh, yeah, I might... <laughs> I love this little bit here. The music comes down. Ah, yes, the virtuous Fantine. Here we go. Who keeps herself so pure and clean? You might have caused I had no doubts of any trouble hereabouts. Play a virgin in the light, but need no urgent in the night. So, uh, she's she's lapsing because he, he, you know, he accuses her of being a whore, and she's not sleeping with him. She's far from a whore. She is virtuous, and she is pure and clean. She got screwed by one guy when she was young, got her pregnant, causing all of these problems. Right, for new, and this is important for Valjean's character too, because he thought he's got his life together, he's running a business, he's a mayor, uh, but you know he hasn't fully internalized his responsibility. And here we go, this is great. You could totally buy that Javert would not um, recognize him. I mean, how, you know, we know it's Hugh Jackman, but otherwise there'd be no way, especially all these years later. So, why is Javert here again? No man's beyond our reach. Let all beware. And Russell Crowe plays it great, where, you know, he, he has no way of knowing that this is Jean Valjean, really, but by his delivery, he's scaring the shit out of this guy. But that's the thing. He's a bully. I mean, Javert's a bully. He'll push anyone around, including a mayor of, you know, good standing. Yeah, now he's a religious man, is a Hugh Jackman. And just to circle back, you know, religion ends up, I mean, not religion, but God and faith 
is what turns him back into a human as he goes along his his journey. Okay, so here's where the strain thing comes in. I mean, you know, this is all too convenient with Javert. Again, this is from the play. You know, it, it, with the play situation, you don't think about this stuff as much. But Javert's going to watch this and go, I've never seen a man this strong before except for the guy who picked up the flag on the day of his parole. It's such a cool idea. I mean, this is way before superheroes that Victor Hugo would give Valjean superhuman strength. He's too good of an author to just make that a plot device. And there's more going on with it, I'm sure, if you read the book, why he's so strong. All right, Javert's starting to put it together. A man your age to be as strong as you are. <laughs> yeah, he's the Wolverine. It's amazing, dude. He's, he's Jean Valjean channeling Wolverine. Now, Javert must have had plenty of people break parole. So his obsession with Valjean, again, selling through performance, because we don't need to hear everything, we don't have time, have to imagine they did not get along during, uh, you know, the time when when Valjean was in jail and and Russell Crowe is, quote-unquote, just a jailer, and now he's like a constable who, you know, he he, he must have something extra against Valjean. Again, sold through performance, don't need to know. Oh, man. So... In the in the play, the lovely ladies think because it's a play, and though it's serious, you know, it, it, plays generally don't get as dark. And musicals, at least big time Broadway musicals, they turn lovely ladies into a bit of a comedy bit in the play, which actually makes it more effective. Um, it's not that I don't like this portrayal. But the fact that they're joking about whores essentially in the play. But you see Fontaine. Also, the singing here isn't as good as the play. But I do like that they, the way they block this, uh, uh, you know, they, all the, the various whores have their own little window stills where, you know, they call it the sailors, I assume. But it, it's great with the costumes, they add makeup, you know, they powder some people down, they put like face paint on them, the hair, the clothes. So, as in the play, yeah, Fontaine tries to sell her hair and va- lock it in various things, but it doesn't, um, it doesn't, uh, doesn't add up. It's not enough to take care of her daughter. That sums up the movie. Ten francs may save my poor cousins. I mean, it's this, it still has the circus freak uh, feeling to it, for sure. It, it's just darker. It has to be in the movie setting. All right, here we go. She's going to start selling her teeth. I'll pay you well for your youth. Uh, yep. You'll still be able to bite without your teeth. Oh, man. Just the back ones. But, um, yeah, like this would never be in the play. I, I mean, they mentioned that line about taking her teeth, but to actually see it. And now, and now this has gone, you know, way further. 
um, than theatric home production. I mean, Fontaine's in such a level of despair. And this is why Anne Hathaway won an Academy Award. Yeah, this part always um, really stuck with me with the play. Even when I wasn't quite sure what was going on when I was younger, but later when I realized that they were all whores and Fantine was becoming a whore, you know, they've been just fucking with her up to this point, robbing her blind, but now that she's essentially one of them, they're saying, uh, I look like Christina Hendricks. Oh, she gets drunk so she can take it. Uh, you know, it's not that they're fully comforting her, but she is part of this twisted sisterhood. <laughs> See them with their trousers off, never quite as grand. Yeah, a lot of great uh, insinuation in this in this song for sure about sex and penises and so forth. So this is important that her quote unquote first be a somewhat classy sailor it seems like or at least uh, actually no we'll see what happens does he end up being violent and, and horrific right don't it make a change to have a girl who can't refuse uh, oh man that's the thing even as a kid you kind of pick up what's going on that she's being tortured even if you're not quite sure what prostitution is and hathaway really goes for it she lets them do this has to oh god don't they know they're making love to one already dead? She's dead inside. Do we watch them have sex? Uh, interesting. Doesn't I thought he was going to uh, not go face to face, to say the least. Right. He's not a great guy, but he's not a brute, I guess is the notion. And part of that is because at the moment, it is worn down as she is. Fontaine is still the most beautiful attractive and least damaged of the the prostitutes but that will not last oh and they go right into this song man is this song good from an emotional standpoint you know you have the jean valjean confronting himself the soliloquy as they call it after the bishop saves his life and swearing that he's going to change his life and here's fontaine going the other direction down a hole she can't get back from. Yeah. <laughs> Not only did the guy leave her with a child, you know, and take her virginity and take her, her you know, her girlhood from her. But she's still in love with him, or the idea of him. And, as uh, great narratives do, it comes full circle when her daughter Cosette, long after her death, does meet a great, great, great man in Marius and gets to live that life that Fantine could never, could never experience. Right, and this is a mirror of, when she says, I dream God will be forgiving, is a mirror of, uh, of Valjean going from really having forsworn God to starting to embrace him, as he said, he makes a promise to God to live the righteous path after his earlier transgressions.
I'm going to turn this up a little bit. This is so good. This is what won her the Oscar, obviously. I mean, the whole performance. No song unsung, no wine untasted. I mean, the lyrics to this, you know, theatrical production are just ridiculous. It, it's true poetry. Most musicals are not like that. You know, all musicals have sort of a hokey element to them, even the good ones. But Lame is is true poetry. I, I sometimes imagine what Hugo, um, Victor Hugo, would uh, would think of this. But if he had a modern sensibility, uh, I I think he would be okay with this portrayal. But I I have to read the full book to see. You know, obviously they stress different themes in the movie that are in the book. So okay, to the music. It looks like she's singing here. She's definitely not. It's possible she is because it's just a close-up. And this is what's brilliant about the movie. I don't think they moved the camera off her face from this angle the entire time. They still haven't moved. Right. That is so spontaneous, that screaming kind of there. It's very possible that they have a boom mic above her, and this is a live performance. It, it, and that's what's brilliant about this movie. You can't tell. They're still holding on her. Yeah, I bet they recorded this. You know what? It's possible that this is actually uh, a, like a sound booth that they just decorate the sides of because it's out of focus anyways. You can't see what's behind her. Here we go. There are dreams that cannot be. And there are storms we cannot weather. This is it. This is where she loses it. You don't get this in the play, but it's way more realistic. So different from this hell I'm living. Oh, man. Anne Hathaway. And what's great is, with all the screen slash stage time that Fontaine gets in both play and movie, and how gripping her personal story is, from a meta-narrative standpoint, her main purpose is to set up Cosette with Valjean, obviously. Which doesn't minimize how much we've come to care for her and feel bad for her. But... You know, that's great storytelling. We can have this subplot here, even though it's leading somewhere. You know, and, and, and Jackman and Hathaway end up having ridiculously good chemistry together, which sells it even more. Here we go. Uh, right, now they don't show even a tiny bit of respect. Right, this guy's going to straight up rape her. Oh, yeah. Uh, a rich nobleman, you can't scratch the face. All right, Javert's immediately going to blame the, the, the prostitute. So, right, not really clear why Javert is hanging around uh, Monsieur Madeleine's town. It's great. You know, Javert is constantly referring to himself in the third person. And it's partially because Javert is a great rhyming word. Um,. But he does see himself as kind of a, an abstract idea as much as anything else. It's amazing. You know, he's the definition of justice. 
I mean, he seems to self, he sees himself as justice with a capital J, as in God. Yeah, he, he's he, he's a righteous, uh, you know, uh, angel of God with a flaming sword taking down the the unrighteous. But he he is he's way too uh, acculturated to to French society at this point. And, you know, we find out a little bit when he's confronting uh, Valjean that Javert was born in a jail. And so that informs his extremism a little bit, having to grow up, I guess, amongst such rabble. So I think I miss Jackman walking around the docks trying to help people. Even prostitutes. So I'm not sure who has jurisdiction here. It doesn't matter for the point of the movie. Uh, Javert at the moment is going to let Valjean do this. So unclear the time jump between her being fired and this. It could be a month. It could be a year. It could be multiple years. My guess is it's like six months. Has to be long enough that you could buy he might forget her face, which he did see very briefly. It wasn't a long extended look it's certainly understandable her bitterness I I don't remember this particular bit where she spits on him I love that her hands are up it's like (laughs) it's like she's gonna Pull some karate or something. And of course, she would remember it more than him. He's seen things like that a million times. So, just as Valjean sees himself as a reclamation project, so, too, does he believe that that involves helping others, or comes to believe it, and that starts here. You know, he's been pretty selfish. I mean, he got money from the bishop's jewelry, you know, Turned that into being a, a a rich mayor of a French town. The innkeeper of... I always miss the town with Annes. So yeah, the the geography, the political geography, as I call it, of the play slash movie makes zero sense. Who cares? Um, here, this is great. You see people about to get hung. Javert, perfectly dressed. Not flinching at the snow or what's going to happen to those guys below. So he gets a letter from Paris. Not really clear. Oh, right. Javert. Uh, Right, this is where they find someone who they think is Valjean. The missive comes from Paris. I don't know why he's such a fugitive... Uh, and his yeah, not so subtle accusations earlier against Monsieur Le Maire, and you know this sells Javert's character. This is also a case of him not doing anything wrong, but in his mind it is, and so he's ready to die or, or suffer uh, for you know his perceived sins. And this is the first of like two or three times that Hugh Jackman lets him go, and it. He never learns pity or mercy. Maybe at the moment of his suicide late in the movie he does, 
he, he can't tolerate it. That's not where his justice does. His justice, his justice does not come from pity or mercy. It comes from, you know, just a twisted, uh, twisted understanding of God's lies mixed with French lies, I suppose. Oh, here we go. Right, this is... Yep, this is his way out. If if, if they arrest this guy as Valjean. Is this a ploy by, by uh, Javert? I cannot remember ever if this is a ploy, whether they really think it's Hugh Jackman. Um, sorry, Valjean. The, 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 the faux Valjean. One of the greatest lines ever. If I speak, I am condemned. If I stay silent, I am damned. I think we can. I think we can all relate to that. So you know, in the old days, a mayor can also be the biggest businessman in town. That might be the best way to get a mayor. So he's responsible for these people, right? If he gets arrested, it screws his workers. But if he stays silent, God will damn him, or in his mind. And this would be, you know, this is an impossible moral situation. And who am I? This song that that he's leading up to here it is one of the, you know, top five to seven on the the soundtrack. And uh, it shares pretty strong uh, musical uh, themes uh, to uh, "One Day More," which I believe at the play is the very middle, right before the intermission. They frame it slightly different in this movie. Um, you know, musically it's, and this is the thing about Les Mis that you have to love, is that, you know, there's about, you know, 40 or 50 quote-unquote tracks. Some of them are only 50 seconds long, some are five minutes long. You know, it's it's a long double album, you know, if you have it on CD, And, you know, there are songs like Castle on a Cloud um, and others that are standalone compositions so that they revisit those themes briefly. But this, Who Am I and One Day More are, you know, are direct mirrors from a musical standpoint. Here we go. But you have to be cool with like eight, eight of the songs recurring quite a bit in various versions in, in the play and in the movie, and I freaking love that. It's it's a, like a rock opera. That's what's so great about it. You have, you know, if you have thirty to forty songs that are completely different, it it doesn't work because you need the musical connective tissue to mirror the narrative um, uh, connective tissue. It's like Star Wars. It's like John Williams. You know, I mean, he he makes really complicated soundtracks, but he has a number of themes that he revisits with slightly different um, versions throughout the movies, and you and you need it as part of what makes epics great. And that's one reason, as a kid, even though you're not quite sure what's going on uh, outside of the fighting and just people suffering, you know, the music at some level in your brain helps helps put it all together and that's what makes it so addictive that's the thing i mean lame is the music 
um, and and play. And I would say well, the movie I've seen a bunch of times, although it's been a couple of years. But I listen to the music so much that uh, you see it two or three times in the theater. It's so powerful. And if you already know the music and the story, it's not that I don't like listening to the original cast, but I really love listening to this soundtrack. That's my go-to lame is just because I've listened to the other one like a thousand times, and I like revisiting this movie. So she's seeing you know hallucination of Cosette, which is a great way to introduce Cosette before we actually meet her. Oh, there goes Cosette. I think they used Cosette on the cover of the movie slash album for the uh, of the film soundtrack as well as the film itself. A picture of of that little girl playing Cosette. Now on the soundtrack for the play, it's definitely Cosette, but it's a drawing, and her hair, I believe, is like the French flag waving in the wind, and it's sort of like a stencil of Cosette. This one they just use her picture, and why not? She's angelic looking, and she's what this is all about, you know? How many people suffer and die to to try and protect this girl, even when she's a woman? You know, there's so little pure good about the world. But Cosette is one, and it's these two, and later Marius, who help preserve preserve that goodness and let let it flower, one would hope. I mean, this is way more melodramatic and slow-paced, this this part right here, than in the play. But you gotta do it. You know, and they really stress how ill she is from probably STDs, you know, seeing hallucinations and so forth, and just being malnourished. Um, so, right, so the initial plan was for Valjean to bring the daughter to her. I don't think he realized. Well, he definitely didn't realize how sick she is. Right, he kisses her. They have amazing chemistry with the little screen time they have together. Oh, here we go. I mean, this this is why the movie feels like the play in the best way as possible. You think he's going to walk outside and then run into uh, Javert? Nope, they're going to do this right by Fantine's deathbed. This is amazing. Me up like a slave again. Listen to me. There's something I must do. No always be a suffering child. God, this is good. Ugh. Me and my buddy Al used to know this entire soundtrack by heart. We would just go through it. But this this was the best because you can. It's it's a real duet. Oh yeah, so he's got the sword. Ugh. Right, world building, the nuns running around. Uh-oh, it's going for the kill shot, is Javert. But, <laughs> right, this is always hard to untangle here. There are two parts. 601, steal some duties to the law. You have no rights. It wasn't soon for 601. No, well, Jean Valjean, it's nothing now. Here we go. Right, I'm the stronger man by far. Every man is born in sin. Every man must choose his way. They're talking about completely different things. Here it comes. I was born inside a jail. 
Yeah, to say this informed Javert's worldview is quite the understatement. Does he go out the window in the water? Bam. But, yeah, I mean, the notion is it's, uh, oh, here's Cosette. The notion is that, you know, Jean Valjean's increasing righteousness, true righteousness, it just makes Javert even more angry, although Javert doesn't see it as such. And that's when, you know, Javert realizes too late that, that that Valjean is a good man. He can't, uh, he can't, he can't take it. This girl's spectacular. My sister was obsessed with the song growing up. I, it's still her favorite song, I'm sure. You know, this is a little girl song. Now for me, so for little boys, you know, when you're really little, it's Gavroche, who we'll see in a bit. Um, it, it, glorious introduction is a little boy in the revolution. That's who you identify with. Um, but for me, it was Enjolras. He's the leader of the revolutionaries, the ABC club. This is a beautiful rendition. You know, even this is more subtle and a little bit more emotional than the play. Oh my god. Helena Bottom Carter and Sasha Baird Cohen as the innkeepers is just inspired casting. I mean, Helena Bottom Carter is not even that good of a singer, but it doesn't matter. And actually, Sasha Baird Cohen, I believe, is a good singer. I, he actually has to make him sound, uh, make himself sound uh, <laughs> goofier than he normally would singing, to say the least. So, right, it's these little transitions between the quote-unquote songs you forget till you see it. Yep. Eponine, we learned Eponine is the treasure daughter of these horrible, horrible people. And what's great is older Eponine, while jealous of Cosette much later in life because Marius loves Cosette and not her, she's never bitter at Cosette. And there's there's a strong undercurrent of guilt, I think, on Eponine's part for you know for this particular relationship. Growing up, her getting all the toys and, and Cosette being a slave, and you know how fitting is it that Cosette gets the guy later that Eponine wants? <laughs> you need this comedy in both the play and movie. God, Sasha Baron Cohen is just spectacular. So what's great about this? So this and this is complete world building for the most part. Matt, the master of the house, which is a lot of people's uh, favorite part um, of the play. It's certainly the most, you know, entertaining from a laughing standpoint. One of the only times we really get to laugh in this whole movie. No, 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 no. Not tonight. <laughs> um. <laughs> but this, you know, this does set up important character stuff when we do come back to see them in Paris later on, and he, they're still haunting Cosette and Valjean. Um, <laughs> but what's great is, even though they apparently have the main in, in town, and they're stealing all these people's stuff, 
you know, total crooks, and yet they end up as part of the working class poor, and although still conning people later on in Paris, many years later, clearly had to sell the inn and move to the city because they weren't making enough money, which is, you know, if these crooks can't make it, uh, that shows you how sad the state of affairs uh, the sad state of affairs of France in, in the 1820s, 1830s. So, you know, they can do so many more subtle things. Oh, this is great with Santa. <laughs> Knocks the kid off. Oh, man. Yeah. I mean, this is 100% in the spirit of the um, play. And I think we do get the chorus later of everyone singing it, watering the wine. Uh. <laughs> and this is also the thing of the kid you don't get the more profane uh jokes or whatever but you still laugh, you still laugh at it and they they say the f word in the play i don't know if they um I don't know, maybe it's the S word. There's some curse word. It's like the only curse word in the whole play. I can't remember if they do it in the uh, in the movie, but as a kid, it's, you know, our parents couldn't stop us from saying it as long as we were saying <laughs> The old guy's whole leg comes off. Oh, man. Yeah, Eponine watching all this is great, you know. I mean, it's not Eponine's fault. Well, look what she could do. She could try and stand up for Cosette, I suppose. Yeah, this is disgusting, the stuff they do. Right, they're, right, so, a Santa, so they, they have one of their whores, fuck Santa, he steals Santa's money, it's ridiculous. This is great. He's teaching Eponine. Uh, yeah. But because she's a cute little girl, you know, you're like, okay, this girl's no idea what's going on. It's such a smooth transition later. Um, this is awesome. He steals it while he's on the can. It, was it a bit a, a priest? I think. So they both fool around with other people. We, you know, is uh, more than insinuating. Great. I used to dream I'd be the prince. I'm seeing what's happened since. <laughs> Such a Cohen thinks he's a is a prince. Yeah, and this is great. I mean, they do this in Fight Club. You can make Helena Bonham Carter attempt to make her look so ugly, you know, unattractive, but when she puts on the sex jar, it's just, you know, it's amazing. She, she's Most actresses won't take roles like this where they really ugly you up, as I say. And, and I mean that as a compliment. Uh, you know, if you ugly someone up, it mean, it's because you're beautiful and they're trying to get you to look, you know, more like a character like this. <laughs> so that guy coming in his pants with Helena Bonham Carter just sitting on there that's hilarious oh here we go the dance I, I, I wonder how close this particular dance is to the uh, <laughs> to the the, uh, the musical oh here we go oh great they say raise up the master's arse in the in uh, uh, the uh, I love you too <laughs> In the play, they say, you know, raise up the master's ass, I think. Yeah, I think she's, she calls him a lifelong shit earlier. That's a big deal when you're a kid to get to say that. This is beautiful. I love this image. 
you can't. You know, another thing you can't do in the play, just spatially. I mean, you can make her be outside, but in this haunted woods. It's interesting how quickly he picks up on it. Right, this could be so creepy. Don't hide, show me where you live. Here it comes. Oh, it gives me chills. Just that, I'm cold cause it's... Right, he bows to her. And that's the thing, you know, Valjean is a great guy, I love it, you know, little touches like that, he's swinging her around, he sees that she's looking at the big doll, this is great, yeah, he's so indignant about this, as he should be, you know, and the, uh, the Thenardier's waltz, as they call it in the play, they change it uh, for the movie, I can't remember what they call the track, something about, you know, paying for Cosette or something. <laughs> I love you. <laughs> Somehow it, it <laughs> Sasha Baron Cohen. No, uh, yeah, she already loves this guy more than them. <laughs> you know, and what's great is, like when I hadn't seen the play for a while and then saw it. When I saw this movie for the first time, I totally forgot how critical the Thenardiers are later on in Paris in terms of threatening to expose them and so forth and robbing the dead. Just look at the color on those outfits. Mr. and Mrs. Thenardier. You know, I mean, they're supposed to look like jesters a little bit, I think is the idea. Yeah, he knows all the tricks of of robbery. It's great, you know. They try all those little schemes, and he knows exactly what's going on because he comes from backgrounds like theirs, although he's never like them or would be like them. Yeah. Look at such a Baron Cohen doing everything to torment this girl. Oh, this poor girl. She kills it. That's the thing. In the play, as in the movie, young Cosette, in terms of screen time, is not a lot, but she's the key to the whole thing, both plot-wise and thematically. So you needed to nail this casting, and this is one of the greatest um, castings of a of a young girl ever. <laughs> Another thing I really appreciate about Sasha Baron Cohen is, you know, in both the play and the movie, everyone just plays an English accent, and we just, you know, say, okay, it's France, but since we're Americans, it just makes more sense to have an English accent. But Sasha Baron Cohen's really trying to put on a French accent, and he can do it, because he can do accents. (laughs) He's still trying to rub Hugh Jackman. Uh, Right. Right. This is a nice uh, strategy by Mrs. Tenardia. Right. She's ill all the time. Medicines are expensive this year. Sins are expensive, monsieur. (laughs) (laughs) Sasha Baron Cohen always goes one step too far. Coughing. (laughs) Right. 
1500 I have to imagine 1500 francs in 1823 is a lot of money. Look at him grab it. <laughs> did, did I miss the part where Sasha Baron calls her Colette or Cosette? He doesn't even know her name. That's completely from the movie. I bet you that Cosette, there it is. Cosette. Uh, I... I don't know. That seems that seems like a Sasha Baron Cohen. Uh, oh, he got her the doll. This is so touching. Mm-hmm. to me. Oh, she's so sweet. Hugh Jackman's great with kids. You know, I talk about in the X Men commentaries. He goes from a vicious killer to a softy very quickly in the early X-Men movies because of Anna Paquin's character and all the kids at the X-Mansion. And when those kids are threatened, you know, he really goes full psycho Wolverine. Oh, right, right. So this is how Javert, Javert's hot on his heels. Just miss them. <laughs> Didn't leave his home address. Uh, I mean, Hello the Bada Connor isn't a bad singer. It works great for the character. foreshadowing next time around <laughs> she won't even kiss him Sasha Baron oh man yeah you need it okay so they resisted the urge to not only do no major changes to um any of the uh uh, you know, songs from the play or whatever or even the sort of musical transitional bits between songs but they resist the urge to do new music. This is the only new song. And while it's a little corny and predictable, it, it only sticks out if you're super familiar with the the play. But even so, when I first heard this, it had been so long, I was like, eh, maybe I just forget it. But you need this. Um, you need, at least you need the, the poetry and, and feeling behind this song because, you know, it goes from young Cosette to old Cosette so quickly and, uh, you know, you needed to see the sort of spark of hope and love and happiness rekindled. I mean, it all, I mean. You literally could have just had her lying on his lap and them going silently and him looking at her and petting her, um, you know, stroking her hair, you know, but this is, this is what happens with good people, you know, if you're a good person and a little girl or a little boy or whatever comes into your life like this and you have the means and ability to take care of them, it just, that, that instinct kicks in, you know, it is the paternal instinct. But she's already his daughter in his mind. And I think vice versa. He's already papa. And this is one of the things that great musicals can do and great performances can do. Which is, these two literally just met like a couple hours ago. And now they're father-daughter. Totally buy it. And then when you see him with older Cosette, you really buy it. Because he's still treating her like that little girl. Even when she's, you know, bordering on adulthood. Okay, so, again, I forget how Javert tracks them to Paris. Does he see her? 
I'm sorry. Does does Hugh Jack? Yeah, Hugh Jackman sees him. I guess figuring you know he he was headed north or whatever. Uh, this whole time it would make sense. The best place to hide, other than the middle of the countryside, would be in Paris. Always easier to hide in a city than a town. This is great filming. Oh, here we go. Russell Crowe and the horse, just like Gladiator, baby. (laughs) Roma Victor! Roma Victor! 24601. Oh, man, yeah. Javert in this movie. Great. I love Russell Crowe. His version of Stars, I sing all the time. I really do. It's so much more subtle than the play version. and doesn't have a traditionally amazing voice. But he nails Stars, which is coming up. And just to tease it, not only is his version of Stars fantastic, but the audiovisual uh, transition between him holding the final note and then jumping 10 years forward in different part of Paris, nighttime to daytime, is one of the great all-time movie transitions. Yeah, they're hiding. And after this, you know, we we don't run across... Well, let's put it this way. Valjean does not explain this to Cosette. She's just happy to be away from those horrible uh, innkeepers. And she totally trusts them. Look at her. You know, in in my life, the song sung by older Cosette, Amanda Seyfried, is incredible, who we'll get to in a bit. Um... All right, how do these two know each other? She asks about his past, and he never tells her. Um, I don't think ever. He does tell Eddie Redmayne, Amarius. Fauchelevent. Who's Fauchelevent? Oh, this is a guy. He's a guy who's saved from the car. Right. Finally, some good karma for, for, uh, for Valjean. We need to disappear. Here we go. And here's the church helping them again. It's amazing. You know, and this is the thing. I'm I'm as critical of Catholic church and religion in general as uh, as many, but they often get blamed for like imperialism, you know, and they were in many cases uh, benefiting from imperialism in, in various continents and so forth. But they sometimes were the only ones, you know, standing up for the natives. I mean, it didn't happen everywhere all the time, but, you know, the church has helped people in the past. I, I think... Okay, here we go. Here we go. This song's amazing. And look at the way they filmed this. Fugitive running. I'm going to sing a little bit of this, people. You can turn me down if you want. Falling from grace... God be my witness, I never shall yield, till we come face to face, till we come face to face. Oh man. Yeah, I I think Russell Crowe really got a bad rap um, on this one. (laughs) I really, you know, I, I, I don't want to say that I'm like, you know, more of an expert than other people because, you know, if it hits your ear one way, I'm, I can't, you know, persuade you or sway you any other way. 
But for someone who has been involved in the music industry for 10 years and is a collector and lover of all sorts of music from every corner of the globe and is obsessed with things, you know, like chord changes and modes and certainly vocal quality, there's nothing wrong with his voice. Now, if it doesn't move you as much as you want, I could understand that. But from a technical standpoint, you know, it's it's totally on point. In fact, when they performed uh, uh, One Day More live at the Academy Awards, he did screw up, but he screwed up his timing. He didn't screw up, like, the actual voice. So, you know, whatever. I'm not going to spend too much time defending Russell Crowe. But if you can at least appreciate that it's a decent performance, but then add in his his narrative acting performance. Here we go. Must be. So it is written on the doorway to paradise that those who falter and those who fall. I love that. For so it must be. For so it is written. All right, people. Here we go. Safe behind bars. He's killing these high notes. Dark Paris. And this is important. He's standing on the edge of something. This won't be the last time. Here we go. So you think, like in the play, it's going to end here? No. Wait, what? They're not. They're not wrapping up the song? He's holding the note. Okay, camera's moving. We go over the tower. Daylight. Go through the cross. Nothing subtle. Oh, man. Yeah, baby. Oh, this is so glorious. Just listening to on the soundtrack. That's like one of the greatest musical transitions on film ever. What? Here we go. Best character in the play, Gavroche, as a kid. I mean, you don't want to be suffering like him as a kid, but the fact that he gets to be involved in the revolution and they love him, the college guys love him, and he's the leader of all the kids, uh, this is great. So $65 million, they had to, you know, we're, we're an hour in, there's an hour and a half left, everything after this happens in Paris, you never don't believe it. How do they do this filming? Shaky cam going in and out of stuff. Gavroche. I mean, this must have been a ridiculous film shoot. Plus, you've got all the mobs. Uh, Look down is definitely my favorite track on the on the original album. It's so passionate and impassioned. It just gives me chills. Here we go. Let's to look at nothing posh, nothing that you call up to scratch. This is Moscow, my high society. Here in the slums of Saint Michel, we were on crumbs of humble pie, top on the. D- but what DL? <laughs> Here we go. He's a revolutionary. Follow me, yeah, baby. Okay, so they had a ga- they take out some cool um, world building uh, lines from this track from the play, and they add this this part right here with Cabrash. But I love it. You need the history lesson. Look at that shot. <laughs> right. Yep. Tried to change the world too fast. That sums up the French Revolution. It's brilliant. You know, this might actually be in some versions of the, uh, like, not the American version, like the English version or the French version. This might not be. I had never heard it, though. This is great. Take your place. Take your chance. Vive la France. Vive la France. Oh, man. I got chills. And he goes right on the back. Oh, here we go. Aaron's fate as Enjolras. 
and my man crush, Eddie Redmayne, as Marius. I knew nothing of Eddie Redmayne. I hadn't read anything about him. I learned later that he was the theatrical guy. He now is Academy Award. When I watched him in this movie, I mean, look at him. Look at these two great-looking guys. Just like the play, you want to be these guys. Okay, so General Lamarck, this is this is real. Right. Lamarck was one of Napoleon's generals and was a pro-Republic guy. So they want to rally the people around Lamarck's illness and then death. There's uh, Eponine who looks exactly like I remember Eponine looking in the play, which makes sense because Samantha Barks, who plays her in the movie, also plays her on Broadway. Brilliant. Uh, here come the troops. Right. Yeah, so all of this happens in like 48 hours. Oh, I forgot about this. Right. It doesn't unclear whether it's his father or uncle. Yeah. I mean, you know, he's number two to Angel Ross, but when he sees Cosette, it changes. This is great. Vive la France. Oh, God, that shot so well. Brilliant. Never quite sure what the ring is. I guess that's him distancing himself from his past. Here it is. It's so important with Les Mis to sell chemistry between uh, Eponine and uh, Marius, even though their chemistry is coming from different places. Yeah, I like the way you talk, Monsieur. She's so great. She she looks and sounds exactly from what I remember from childhood. She just feels like Eponine, and that's why she plays her on Broadway. Right, little he knows. Little he sees. The funny thing is, growing up, just because of her voice, which was way just more sultry and sexy than, you know, Cosette here, who looks and sings like an angel. I like girls who are a little sultry and, and dirty, and, and that's, you know, not total angels. I, I always was attracted to Eponine, um, and Samantha Barks is just the right amount of, of pretty. Look at her. Oh, my God. We have a family friend that looks just like her. It's pretty ridiculous. And, you know... I mean, you have to remember, she was, look, she's already uncomfortable with this situation. She's now in the working class. They're poor. They lost their inn somehow. Maybe they gambled it away. Right, here's the fake baby. This is good. You know, the chances of them running into each other in Paris, eh, you know, who knows? But they play the love at first sight thing perfectly. I mean, that's the huge conceit of you know, not just this particular play, but, you know, a lot of Hollywood and big theatrical performances is, you know, the love at first sight thing, but because of the charisma of the two of them, that we'll see a little bit more later. There's so much nonverbal stuff that goes on in the love triangle, if you will, with Eponine, Cosette, and Marius. You buy all three of their relationships to one another. Right, now they're trying to extort Valjean um, because they had met Javert, and so they know that he's a fugitive. Yep, Ebenine saves them. Ebenine has to know, she must know that that's Cosette. Right, this is great. Russell Crowe, stink in the air. Oh, there's Gavroche. Uh, You know, he's like Smith. You know, he sees the the poor masses as just a 
stinky virus that he has to deal with. Alright, crawl from underneath the stone. Worms and maggots. And here he is, right? You know, Tenardiers are worms and maggots. God, there's so much nonverbal stuff going on here. It's hard to comment. Eddie Redmayne loses. Uh, Amanda Seyfried plays Cosette. Eddie Redmayne, my boyfriend, as I used to call him, just based on this performance alone. Here's the thing. Cosette, older Cosette, and Marius are actually two of the least interesting characters in the play, and they're written that way. They're just purely good and that's why the darker characters like these guys, and especially Eponine, though. I mean, Eponine is truly three-dimensional in her short time. All right, so now the musical theme comes back um, from much earlier on. Anytime it's, there's a Javert-Valjean thing going on, they, they pull from a, a small number of musical cues that connect them. Just how I talk about, uh, I mentioned earlier about how Who Am I and One Day More. Helen <laughs> Bottom Corner is trying to seduce Russell Crowe. He's disgusted. His performance is so good. Look at Sasha Baron Cohen. Right. He's it, it, not enough to just get out of the situation. He needs some payment for, you know, uh, directing him to Valjean. Run him off his feet. How can you not love Russell Crowe? He's killing it. That's great. Clear this garbage off the street. And that's what this movie does so well. Musical. Oh, here it is. Here's Eponine remembering Cosette. Now I remember. Right. It, it, it makes sense to take her a while. Because she's just a little girl, too. And, you know, with Samantha Bark's subtle performance in this movie, she sells that she feels bad about the Cosette situation. Right, look what's become of me. She thought she was the treasured one, Cosette was the slave. Now Cosette's living a pretty good life. Right, calls Lord Bourgeois to a petty thing, which of course is also Marius. What will you give me? Oh my god. See, this is the thing. You totally buy that Eddie Redmayne's Marius would fall for Cosette. But, you know, for me... Yeah, he tries to pay her. There's a lot of class stuff going on, and this is what's so interesting is because we they set up the uh, the suffering of Cosette um, and Valjean trying to redeem himself. We but we uh, you know we're rooting for them, but Ebeninier, who's mostly a victim at this point, is now just part of the underclass. And it's interesting to think whether Marius. There's lots of things I know. She's trying to do anything to get him to stay with her. Eponine knows her way around. There's some sexual undertone to that, maybe. Um, But it's interesting to think whether subconsciously... Oh, here we go. uh, Subconsciously, Eddie Redmayne wouldn't wouldn't think to, you know, court Eponine, him being upper class. They call themselves rich kid. Okay, here we go. Aaron's fate and Joel Ross. I need to look up the name all the time. It's really hard to say, remember? So the Enjolras, this is one of the great scenes, uh, maybe the greatest in some ways, if you're into revolutionary stuff. Here we go. Okay, so you, it, it was important that while we have our two main male players here, we needed to to love or or, or just kind of like some of the other boys from the ABC club here. This is the revolution, or we think it is. This guy's great. 
Yeah, I mean, even the support players are ridiculously good-looking, but with Eddie Redmayne, you don't have to worry about it. Look at that boyish face. I mean, I never even used the word man crush until it came to Eddie Redmayne. I'm not sure in 2012 if that was a big thing. This is straight from the show. The feeling of this, the music is spot on. But Angel Ross is a much less subtle character in the play. And I actually prefer this, even though listening to the, the play soundtrack, it, it's, it gives you chills hearing him t- sing around. Um, it gives you chills hearing Angel Ross sing about the revolution you know, on the original cast soundtrack because he's just such a phenomenal voice and so passionate. But this guy's passionate too. Um, I actually have a close friend who knows him and says he's a sweet guy. But I like the more subtle portrayal, just like Marius's more subtle portrayal. This is a lot more realistic version of what would, you know, a, a revolutionary or wannabe revolutionary leader would be like. I'll get back to that. Red and Black, I don't know if this is the best song or my favorite, but from a poetry standpoint, it's magnificent and transcendent to use those colors and completely different ways to talk about revolution and then love, although you realize that you're talking about two very related things having to do with happiness and freedom. Yeah, and that's the thing. Mario seemed like such a sap in the play. Maybe I was just young. It's like, oh my God, you're the second in command and all of a sudden you can't help but think, oh, this is great. They're setting them up. They do it sarcastically. They don't do like, they don't do this in the play. This is just to fuck with both of these two guys. Color of desire, black, the color of despair. And Joloras is really nervous about this. You know, he needs everyone focused. Now there's a higher call. Right. So, uh, yeah, Mary says, oh, really? Yeah. Who cares about your lonely soul? And Joloras is just more ruthless. He really mocks Marius in the play way more than here. This is more of a f- appeal of friends and comrades. This gives me chills every time. But the other thing I like is that, and I looked this up in terms of the book, which I may have read some of a long time ago, which is that Angel Ross is a very smart guy. He's not a straight-ahead fundamentalist. And in fact, even in the movie, in terms of his lines, oh, here's where Lamarck's dead. Yeah, they give it to Gavrush. God, where do they find this kid? He's perfect. He He's actually a bit younger than in the play. Or just smaller. The people's man, right. So Lamarck is, they're hoping to rally the people, at, you know, around this guy's death. But what they don't realize is that his death has already doomed them because he would have been an actual ally. Now he's gone. You know, in the way Aaron Tveit plays Angel Ross, he's not even 100% convinced, but he's got to rally the troops. And as I was saying, he actually ends up being the most revolutionary, but also the smartest and most perceptive in realizing what the true sacrifice is going um, to, to be and what the consequences are. You know, these other drunk schoolboys are here for various reasons. Some are idealists. Oh, Eponine comes to grab him. This is the thing. This is why they make it feel like a play. I, I mentioned this earlier. Uh, the use of space is, right, they could have just cut to Cosette 
and have it implied Eponine's showing him. But nope, Eponine showed up on that set after that whole dramatic scene. God, look at Amanda Seyfried. Totally not my kind of girl, I guess, because I'm not into blonde, like, you know, angelic blonde chicks, I suppose. I like the darker, you know, the Eponines. But man, does she sing like an angel. She was already an established actress, obviously, and is, you know, is a big time Hollywood actress who's been in a million things. But she sings like a bird. I mean, literally and figuratively. She sings like a songbird. And we don't fully hear it until her duet with Marius coming up. Actually, we do hear it. How do you sing that high? It seems impossible. You know, and this is a conflation of, um, or I should say, this is the thing about Les Mis. I love the female songs as much as the male songs, at least, you know, being older. I mean, Eponine singing, uh, well, we'll get to it, but Eponine's version of On My Own coming up is just spectacular on so many levels. I mean, you really feel for Eponine in this. I mean, I, I've already, as a first <laughs> Wolverine in the suspenders, um, I, I'm already on Eponine's side, even though we saw her as a spoiled little girl, but she hates her family and can't get out of it. I'm already on her side because of her charisma and performance. So, right, so th- it's pretty subtle what's going on um narratively here because she's talking about not knowing his past she's talking about not knowing what to do with her current life because he kind of locks her away you know she must have some suspicion she looks at i always forget that the rest you can't do that in the play seeing that his hand had been bound um he looks like a hobbit the way he's dressed i always thought other than being just built um, I wonder if he, he actually looks heavier than Wolverine. I mean, Wolverine is meant to be cut, but he needs to be, you know, a giant, basically. I mean, look at her look up. I mean, she's so much shorter than him. God, look at that face. Yeah, that's the thing. You know, she, not quite the same extent as Eddie Redmayne, just because of the material. But Amanda Seyfried makes older Cosette way more interesting in the movie than in the play. Right, and she's pressuring him here. Right, I'm no longer a child. You're keeping me in here. I want to know the truth. He is so ashamed. And this goes back to him feeling like he's a worse person than he is. Um, now, I mentioned that he un- he unburdens himself at the end when he's dying to Eddie Redmayne, but I think he ends up giving her a journal or something, a letter with all the truth. Yeah, the, see, that's a very naturalistic boom. Th- those two looks there by those two. She's just upset and disappointed with him. Oh, uh, here we go. Look at this camera movement. Boom. Burst like the music of angels. The light- I mean, that's the thing. I mean, Eddie Redmayne, I didn't even see Theory of Everything. I'm- I haven't seen any of his works outside of this. I was totally sold. You know, people, I watch so many. Oh, man, poor Eponine. You're the friend who brought me here. He's holding her hand, swinging her around. She'll take any bit of attention she can get. But because she has inner strength, it's not pathetic. I mean, it's it's pathetic in terms of pathos. It's not pathetic in terms of being, you know, like just, uh, you know, pathetic with, with a super negative connotation. Anywhere where he is, if he asked, I'd be his. Man, 
That's the brilliance about the lyrics of Les Mis. There's very less, there's very little complex language. Okay, so now Eddie Redmayne is looking at Cosette, while Ebenine is looking at Marius, and they're expressing the same feelings. And this is great. You know, we, there's like a three or four song string with these three characters that just doesn't stop. And okay, here's a heart full of love. A song that growing up you skip on the the tape when you're like nine, and now I have to listen to every time because of these great actors and their great voices and performances, doing everything all wrong. Look at him. I mean, he's already ten times more dimensional than Marius in the play. He he made me. I mean, let's put it this way: for me and Joe Ross, you know, even though you don't even know his name when you're seeing the play, was always the way cooler character, and he still is in some ways, but because of these two actors i mean look at eddie redmayne's face you know and when i say of a man crush uh, 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 you know or my boyfriend or whatever my ah marius pomercy that's his last name i wonder what valjean's name is we never learn what his new alias is this is great through the fence they get to have a real conversation you know i mean they're obviously two beautiful people but okay here comes Ebenine. Oh, she's just standing there. And, and and they frame it so that the logistics of this makes sense. Like, Eponine could just be standing there, but she's just outside of vocal range for those two. So he, she can sort of sing quietly to herself. These things are important. Yes, it's a musical and completely removed from real life in that sense. But you still have to make it believable in terms of the blocking of where the actors are standing, how loud they're singing, who can hear them. The internal logistics have to work and always do in the play and moving. Oh, here comes the high note. The three of them right here. Listen to this high note from Safe Read. I can't even go one octave lower. I have to go two full octaves. I told you to stay inside. I guess he's not keeping her like a bird in cage until now when um, when he thinks people are chasing him. Oh, that's right. The Tenardier is trying to rob them, and that's what convinces Valjean to have to leave. So Cosette leaves something. Oh, here comes the robbery. This was mishandled, not in terms of the performances or the filming, but... This is one of the coolest songs and really devious and, and intense in the in the play. And she goes, I know this house, I tell you. Right, they do this part. Nothing here for you. Just the old man and the girl. They live ordinary lives. She's a much more understated eponine than in the play. But as I've said, I love that for the movies. Right. They cut out this whole next section here, which, right, between that last line and the scream, there's some great stuff going on in the play, whatever. Uh, Now, Sasha, oh man, he hits her. Sasha Baron Cohen plays it like he's speaking to her, which is fine. In the play, they sing all that. It's a little bit more dramatically uh, interesting, but it moves the plot forward and shows us that Eponine is a truly good person now and is trying to save the woman who's stealing the man she's in love with. It's amazing. (laughs) 
So it's interesting to think what Cosette's reaction would be. Up oh, there's the candlesticks. What her uh, what her reaction would be um, if she hadn't met Mar- Marius. Like she's just tired of moving all the time. Uh, you know, it's implied it's about Marius. Oh, she leaves it in the door. Eponine takes it. Right. I always forget this. The handoff at that. You know, when Eponine dies. Spoiler alert. She withholds it from him. Here we go. This is one of the most heartbreaking tracks of all time, and just brilliant poetry. I mean, the way they shoot this, as great as this was in the play, this is Hollywood here. I don't know if Samantha Barks is going to stay on the theater scene or try and move into movies. She's certainly pretty enough to be in movies. I mean, if anything, they quote-unquote ugly her up a little bit, as I said, in terms of beautiful women to, to, to fit her character. You know, if she got to wear, like, what Cosette was wearing. I mean, who cares? I mean, look at her with the ring. Just stunning. Uh, I, I like the darker complexions. I, I guess what I'm getting at. Right, so th- this is a brilliant... Right, no, so this is her narrative of what life would be like if she were with Marius. There's lights everywhere. It's all about light and darkness, this movie. Right? Even the even the trees are full of starlight and darkness. Him and me, forever and forever. And here comes the music. Goes minor just briefly. And I'm talking to myself and not to him. Yep. They change the cadence of the of the lines. It's great, right? She says he's blind. He's just not interested. He just loves her as a friend. But she's deluded because her life has gotten so horrible. He he's her way out. That's the thing. Cosette may have suffered earlier on in life, but she does have Papa. She has nothing, right? He's gone. The river's just a river. This reminds me of the, in tone. The Doors song, uh, Strange Days, or People Are Strange. Right, the streets are full of strangers. Yeah. You know, strangers are always strangers, but they seem more like strangers when you're depressed or or your life seems to be going to shit. Here it comes. Ugh, I'm going to be quiet. Killing it. His world will go on turning World that's full of happiness That I have never known Here we go This is Hollywood, people This isn't Broadway She had to change her whole performance for this movie Reminiscent of Fantine earlier on Just losing it What's she looking at? And it's a great device. You'll even realize she she stays in the rain. Okay, here we go. This is brilliant. I don't think that's lined up like this in the original score. But to go from her song on my own to the most important song in the play in terms of setting up the final act, not only that, but she has a major uh, part in this song. Here she is. There's Marius. 
She's wet. They're gone. Yep. Tom Hooper is the director's name. He knows when to go modern shooting. Here we go. Oh, God. These three. That's the thing. I don't want to talk too much during this song because this is epic, and they did this at the Academy Awards. Here we go. You're going, what's she doing? Why is she wrapping herself? We know she's wet. She's getting ready for the revolution. It's the only way to be close to him. It's brilliant. These three. Life I might have known, and I swear I will be true, but he never saw me then. Here we go. Okay, her voice swells in the original soundtrack. Who cares? One more day before the storm. Oh, enjoy us. God, this is good. Barricades of freedom. When my brother's there, when the ranks begin to form, do I stay and do I dare? They think they got the peasantry riled up. These cuts are so hard to do, musically and filmically. Here they are making shells. Yeah, he says they will wet themselves with blood. Yeah. <laughs> They're robbing the revolutionaries. It's great. Stealing guns. I got shells. Big shells. Oh, here he comes, baby. Cosette's gone. He's going to go down fighting. My place is here. I fight with you. That red flag's important. At least in the play. In the play, Anjoras dies at the top of the barricade with the red flag. They do it a little differently here. But that's a nod to it. This is almost impossible to do. Have like 19 voices going. And as it should be, it you know comes to all the main characters. That heaven has in store. This actually could have been way more over the top. This, this is great restraint on this scene while still getting you pumped up. Look at that, the flags. That must have been the trailer. So, Russell Crowe has obviously risen far above the ranks in the swell. And this is great. Boom. It looks like everyone's ready to fight. Okay, here's Lamarck's funeral. Now, apparently he still gets a state funeral, even though he's pro-Republican. Whatever. There's the elephant with a little boy stay. Now, this song, which is the the, you know... This is the song of Les Mis. This is like, if you know nothing about Les Mis, you know this. And this is the song they played during the trailers, I believed. Well, um, but this is so understated compared to the play. And it, it makes sense because they're literally trying to launch the rebellion right now, softly but effectively. There's Russell Crowe undercover. Uh, this actually comes before One Day More in the play. This makes way more sense as the song that launches the revolution. Because you're watching this, 
And whether you remember now that this song is placed differently, you don't actually expect the revolution to start here. Just get the people riled up. Nope, it starts here. And Joel Ross, here we go. I mean, this can get you shot right here with the red flags. The uh, the theatrical recording of this song is uh, a little bit more powerful, but it, it, it's meant to be a standalone song. Here, it's you know really meant to launch the 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 uh, final battles. So you slow it down a little bit and have people slowly start. There is Kevrosh waving. I think they reuse that shot later. I've seen this a lot, at least a long time ago. I did. There's Eponine. She wants to just be near Marius. You know, Eponine, I'm sure, sympathizes with them. She's singing. But, you know, Marius, there, yep, there's the Gavros shot again. Music of a people who will not be slaves again. When the beating of your heart echoes the beating of... You know, they show the elephant a couple times to... I mean, this is where, you know, when they we first moved to this time period... So I'll look down. Oh, this is great. This this is where the this is. Oh man, boom! They're ready for it. Yeah. Oh, someone fired the first shot. Right, they kill an innocent woman. I mean, they really try and sell in both play and movie that these guys have a chance to at least fight for a few days. Um, you know, and with the old school muskets, it takes a while to refire. So you have to have multiple weapons or people handing you weapons. Oh man, Angel Ross in his red jacket is beautiful. Eddie Redmayne, Mary's got the flower that they all have, the flower of the revolution. This is such a cool idea. I thought the barricade would be like ready made, which is sort of how it is in the play by necessity. But they actually start building it as they're running. You know, totally haphazard. We got shaky cam. We're running through them. We got the red flag. Marius on the horse. Oh, yeah, baby. Oh, right. The, the, yeah, that character is meant to be a, a womanizer who is, is hesitant, revolutionary, but loves his friends. Yeah, there's a mischievous smile. That's so what young, you know, young men or boys. This is great. Everyone throwing their stuff out. Much cooler way to make a barricade. So they basically, the notion is, they're making this their HQ, and they want to draw the fight to them to a certain degree. This neighborhood is particularly sympathetic, but they were expecting that this will cause peasants all over the city to rise up. Now, actually, okay, historically, <laughs> he's kissing her. <sighs> right. I need someone to get the plan. Never seen this guy before. He looks evil. Why don't we trust him? Um, okay, so in, in, while this is considered a minor revolution, because France has had so many, it actually was bigger uh, than portrayed in this movie. Not much bigger. You know, there's hundreds of people instead of dozens. Um, but the fact that they don't last a day, that is historically accurate. Uh, you know, I mean, would Marius be here if Cosette were around? Oh, yeah, here we go. Oh, he does have the flag and Joras. Yeah, baby. They've got coffins there. Oh, this is glorious. And this is how you make a $65 million movie look twice that. 
I mean, they built this entire street. This is a giant set because they knew they were going to have to film, you know, dozens of minutes on this this set. Uh, <laughs> he's got the hat to the side. Right, so why doesn't Eponine recognize him? Or where is Eponine? I mean, he seemed to be openly a constable before. You know, there's there's a lot of conceits with with uh, Javert, but they're all they're all character stuff. So you roll with them, right? Okay, so how does Eponine not recognize him from when he busted up her parents, the Tenardiers? Right, which would actually be smart to starve these guys out. Wait, wait till light. This is great. Oh. <laughs> Lovely evening, my dear. Right, they immediately trust Gavarash. He's the smartest. He's oh, great. So earlier on, when we, we meet Gavarash... Right, he says, bravo to Gavrash, top of the class. Early, when we first meet Gavrash, talks about how Sam Michel's slums was his school and his society. He's the top of the class. I like how they... This is great. He just goes total anger. Uh, he found something to hate more than Valjean. Death to each and every traitor. I renounce your people's court. Right, gotta keep Marius invested. Oh, yeah. Does he escape here? I can't remember. No, they just beat the shit out of him. But yeah, I mean, that's the first sign that maybe the government, oh, here they come. You know, if it took that much to weed out one spy, who can they even trust? And it turns out they can't even trust the people who claim to sympathize with them. As as Enjoros as will say later, you know, the people have abandoned us because they're living in fear, essentially. Right, here's Eponine. I love that she's involved with the fight. I can't remember if she was this involved in the play, but this is great. I love old school, you know, 18th, 19th century battles with the muskets. The the the, uh, the visuals and the audio. Boom. Oh. They're trying to surround them. They're already over the barricades. They're just starting. Amazing. I don't know what these schoolboys thought they were going to do. Oh, Eddie Redmayne kills them at point-blank range in the chest. All right, here's the powder keg. Uh-oh. Boom. Eponine pulls the gun right into her chest. <laughs> this definitely didn't happen. I don't believe in the play. The suicide bomb threat. Yeah, it seems to be against character for Marius, but that's the thing. He was hardcore devoted to this before Cosette, and now that she's gone, he's hardcore again. I mean, there's a reason he was number two. I mean, the only reason he's not number one is because Njoros is just a little bit more, you know, charismatic from a revolutionary standpoint, probably tactically superior. It's kind of implied Marius is maybe more book smarts. Oh, right, gives him Cosette's notes. 
Yeah, this is a track that I wouldn't always listen to when I was younger, but these two, and here's what's great about this track. There's almost no music. Just some piano. She's smiling. This is all she wants. Him to hold her. I mean, it seems like she had a death wish. She was trying to protect him in her mind. Okay, so they have two cameras for this. This look and this one. One on each character. I, I think this is... A, this is an enclosed set where they did record. It just seems too organic. And if you can get a couple boom mics in there and some ambient sound, and you block out all external sounds, and you have... They probably have an earpiece in on the side we can't see with the music playing. Although, their delivery is so offbeat in art, in an artistic way, it doesn't even matter. I don't think if they can hear the music. Alright, this is the duet she was hoping for. This harmony is extremely difficult. I mean... Yeah, this is a thing. It's hard for me to listen to this, just because it's so sad when I'm just listening to the soundtrack. But when you watch it on screen, you just can't take your eyes off these two amazing young actors. So as I was keep trying to get to, as much as I love the big three for the first part of the movie, with uh, Hugh Jackman, Russell Crowe, and Anne Hathaway, it's the little three of uh, you know, or the small big three. Oh, Gabrosh is crying. It's it's the young three of these two, of Marius, um, Samantha Barks as Eponine, and. Uh, Amanda Seyfried as as Cosette that for me really make the movie not because I don't love the performances of those older great actors because I didn't really know any of these three well I mean I I knew nothing of any of them other than Seyfried I think was in Mean Girls and may have seen her in a couple other movies but you know when you're a kid it's the revolution stuff that you really are all about and you still have, you know, Javert and, and Jean Valjean extremely active. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, here's foreshadowing. All right, you stay away. No way Gavroche is staying away. And the great thing is, Gavroche would have given it to him even without money, but he knew he would give him money. Oh. All right. God. Forgot about this. I have chills. Because he, he's reading it with such passion. He can sense the true passion. Love. I mean, that's the thing. He's, he, he and Fantine are the only ones who truly love Cosette and until now. He's the third. And this is it. This is when Valjean really turns a corner. When he literally goes to fight the barricade in a cause I'm sure he supports. Right? He yep. Yeah, every father's fear. 
another man to take their daughter away. He's being very selfish, but immediately snaps to it, he could die tonight. And although he, I think he probably supports this cause from an ideological standpoint, obviously, he mostly has been trying to just protect Cosette, but now he needs to make sure this, he, you know, he knows these boys are going to die. Oh, that's right. He, he sneaks in. <laughs> this is great. So he volunteers for this fight, just so, just so uh, Marius can hopefully survive with his protection. Oh, uh, there's Russell Crowe. All right, and they needed him to kill a, a sniper to prove he was on the right side. And Gavroff says, I know him. Now, in the book, Gavroche is the son of the Tenardiers with Eponine. They don't explore that in the play, and they made the right choice in not exploring that in the movie. We don't need two kids of the, uh, we don't need two kids of the Tenardiers, and Gavroche is such a compelling character without needing to be related to them. In fact, it works better for him to be a pure orphan. All right. This is it. After everything, Valjean finally has a chance to just kill this guy. You know. He can't, he won't kill an unarmed man, though. he's, He's not the Wolverine. Oh, that's right. He takes him out back. So they think He's going to dispose of him there. <laughs> he is savoring this a little bit. Right, that's the thing. Russell Crowe thinks that that Hugh Jackman's been thinking about this revenge all his life, but that's not the case. He just wants to be free. I think they confront each other again in the sewers later. I always thought this was what led... Uh, Javert to commit suicide. Yeah, that's the thing. Once a thief, always a thief. It's like it's genetic. He thinks Valjean's still angling for something. There's Javert in the third person again. Gotta love it. Yep, always been wrong. Yeah, I love the slightly mischievous, uh, the slightly mischievous, I love the slightly mischievous look on Hugh Jackman's face here. I mean, he, he feels bad for Javert, that he, he can't see any gray in the world, only black and white. Yeah, not only that, he doesn't just forgive him, he says, no, you're just doing your duty. Oh, that's right. He offers himself up after all this. He comes out of it alive. God. Yeah. Yeah, I think they do meet in the sewers later. But this is the first. <laughs> Javert's almost like a, an animal. You know, he's so he's like a he's like an animal being chased. 
who's not being chased, but because he's an animal, thinks he's being chased, if that makes sense. Had to really prove multiple times that he would... uh... And this is what's great. I mean, you kind of... If you're seeing the play of the movie for the first time, you kind of know these guys aren't going to win against the French army. But they divide it up into two attacks. A short but brutal first attack that kills Eponine. And then the big one, which kills everyone mostly. But we get this. They know this is probably their last night together. So this guy, right. In the book, this guy, the drunk guy who's always with the women, is a very reluctant uh, revolutionary, but he's buddies with them. And he goes out in flames, goes up in flames, as we see in this movie as well. I don't know if that character was prominent in the uh, in the play. That's the thing. You can actually add characters in the movie, even if they're just there to be part of the chorus. But they're Oh, look at that chat right here. Boom. On the barricade. That's straight from Les Mis. I mean, the barricade's way cooler, and there's more people, but... Oh, man. Eddie Redmayne. Camera's spinning. Hugh Jackman's listening. That means nothing at all. Would you weep? Because that's... If I were to fall, would you weep? Because that's... Sorry, guys. I can't sing like Eddie Redmayne. God, is he good? Right. And again, here's the the blocking. That's like theater. They have Hugh Jackman right there so we can listen to Eddie Redmayne sing about Cosette. And now he's, you know... N- n- now he's committed to saving this boy. He, 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 you know, I mean, that's what's great. I mean, you, 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 you can't just buy the love at first sight between Cosette and Marius. You have to buy his buying their romance. But he sees how heroic, you know, Eddie Redmayne is. I mean, you know, you don't need to say everything. These are rich schoolboys. They mention that they're rich schoolboys. So this rich schoolboy not only loves his daughter, let her go, is fighting a hopeless battle for ideals of a better France, which Valjean also believes in. He just has to avoid conflict, or has had to up till now. Because of every, you know, all of his demons and Javert. But this is an inspired performance of Bring Him Home. This is the closest he gets to the, you know, original Valjean who, who played the bishop earlier. Not in terms of skill, but in terms of the, the quality of the voice. It's like the son I might have known. God had granted me a son. Right, it's like his connection to Cosette. He just has a sense about young people. Yep. Right, how soon they fly. He, in this, he, he's coming to terms not just with helping Marius, but with letting go of Cosette, and that not only has he been selfish, but that, you know, he's kind of old. You know, I mean, I think he's at, in, at least in his 40s, if not 50s, in terms of the timeline of the story. But yeah, he's blessing this kid, and it's great. You know, he, he's giving him a benediction of a religious nature, um... But he's physically going to save this boy. And again, the strength comes in. I mean, Eddie Redmayne isn't a huge dude, but to carry him through the sewers for hours and hours, as we'll see. 
Yeah, it, this look at the looks on Hugh Jackman's face. He's having minor revelations throughout this song. Y- you know, this isn't a, oh, I had a revelation. I'm going to sing about it for 4 minutes. No. He he's thinking about what he's singing. This is yeah, this is an inner monologue that he's singing. He's still trying to figure out the consequences. Right, and here it is. Here's the conclusion. If I die, let me die. Yep, and again, with the blocking, he's close enough to uh, Marius to be looking at him, but distance enough, and with Marius sleeping, then he wouldn't hear him singing. I know it sounds stupid, but, you know, when you bring theater onto onto the screen, you have to do those logistics. You couldn't have him just, like, sitting right next to the sleeping Eddie Redmayne. Great shot coming up. Tom Hooper really knows what the hell he's doing. I hope I'm getting his name right. So, from now until the end of the movie, things don't go particularly good for the good guys. This battle is glorious, and we already know where it's going. But, if anything, it makes it more epic. Yeah, they're low on gunpowder, the rain soaked the gunpowder. Yeah, here's the revelation. No one else is rising up. The people have not stirred. We're abandoned by those who still live in fear. That's what I was talking about. He doesn't blame them for being bad people, but just for living in fear and not standing up. They actually have way less to lose than these kids. That's the whole point. These kids are giving up really luxurious lives to do this, and the people who have nothing and nothing to lose. Here we go. Oh, my God. I don't think this happened in in the uh, theatrical version. I could be wrong. Um, not necessarily Gavroche getting them to sing. But what's about to happen with Gavroche coming up? We need more, right, need more ammunition. Gavroche says, okay, they need more ammunition. I'm going to help. Right, and so they cut this out of the early version with Javert, and you're going, oh, you can't, the, the little people bit by Gavroche, you can't get rid of. Nope. They bring it back in an even more tragic way. He's, oh, they miss on the first one. He's smiling, Gavroche. Yeah, he knows they're all going to die. Garrosh is the smartest. He's going to give up now with a symbolic gesture. They're going after him. That's how much they love him. Boom. Oh, they hit him. It's so horrifying. I like that they did the death differently in, you know, both theater and movie. It's equally horrifying. Oh. That's it. That's it. He gave his life, and now these guys are going to fight with an even more reckless abandon than was possible. They let him take him away. That's interesting. I guess because they're not going for ammunition, which is what he was going for. Here we go. You the barricades. Listen to this. People of Paris sleep in their beds. They changed the words for this. I wouldn't have done it. Who cares? No chance at all. Finally here from one of the bad guys of the Parisian army. 
So this is the army now. They had to call in the army because the National Guard couldn't handle it. Or, I'm sorry, because the City Guard couldn't handle it. They called the National Guard, I believe. Make them pay through the nose. Yeah, they're still grieving, Kavrosh. And this is important. Let others rise to take our place. And this is the one uplifting thing from a political standpoint you can take from this movie is that when, when Hugo Weaving wrote about this 30 years later, it's had an indelible effect on our society and European literary history and politics. This is great. This is great. And this is so brilliant is in most movies you need more money, but this is how it is in the play. It's just a handful of schoolboys. And, and that's all you want. Bam. So not clear why they can hold the barricade more than the night before where they held it for about three seconds. Oh, has Eddie Redmayne been hit already? Oh, here come the cannons. I'm going to turn this up. Hope it doesn't bleed over. Right. They're waiting for the cannons to get into place. Blow up the barricade. They can only hope to take out some of the cannon people. Yeah, there's Veldron right next to Marius. Oh, man. The framing is great. The battle's already over. They're already dead. They barely lasted a few hours. It's amazing, these schoolboys. Uh, you got Eddie Redmayne fighting with a fucking sword, and then Joel Ross with the sword. Oh, man, this is what's great. You got guns and swords, and now even the people on the street are locking them out because they know the battle's over. And this is the cowardice that Angel Ross was talking about that they didn't plan for. You know, they maybe planned for not everyone rising up, but for the entire city, even on their own block, to turn their back, boom, there goes Marius. Uh, where's he shot? In the arm? I can't remember. That's enough to kill you back in the day, just from bleeding out. You don't need to have him shot in the gut, and you know. Here he goes, hold, holding a body double there instead of Eddie Redmayne, but you got to make Jean Valjean super strong. Yeah, they're throwing pieces of glass. You know that's never a good situation. Oh, do they shoot through the ceiling here? I always forget this. Couldn't do this in the play, but it's exactly what you would do in real life if you were one of them. Up, oh, up! Oh, there's a leading to the sewers. Oh, that was a nice little cut there. Get him right in the sewer hole. Man, that's the thing. As I mentioned, this... Okay, here we go. Here's the, the drunk guy who in the book is a reluctant revolutionary standing with his brother, both getting killed. He's got the red flag. Up! Oh, you know what? I was wrong. It's not on the barricade, but Ross does in fact die with the red flag. The blood everywhere. What a waste. What a waste of everybody. Not saying they shouldn't have done it. It was poorly planned. They way overestimated. And here's the thing. Here's the political thing. Oh, here's all the dead bodies. Not sure what Javert's looking for. And there's Gavroche. Oh, is this his turning here? Looking at Gavroche dead? And seeing what they did? I love this. You don't get this in the play. And here's also Crow not saying anything with his face. Look at this. I totally forgot about this. I have total chills. I don't care that this is in the play. He gives his medal to Gavroche for his bravery. That's the thing. And that's, that is why Javert ultimately unravels, is because there is a tiny spark in his soul that he's just been repressing his whole life. Now the camera's spinning like his head. You know, it's not that many people dead for what it is, but it's enough to set him off. Oh, here he goes into the sewers. Um, 
Yeah, the way they weave Valjean and Javert in and out of the second part of the narrative and play in the movie is, is really virtuosic. And Tom Hooper, the director, and whoever wrote the screenplay did the right thing and said, you know what, we're going to have this person move a little different than that person. But, uh-oh, oh, here's the adventure stuff. Boom, into the sewers. That's human shit everywhere. PG-13, baby. But they knew it's all about the emotional arcs and the characters and the songs. And as long as you keep those two things, you, you can do some other stuff. And if you're a Les Mis fan and you don't love this because you're a, a purist or something, that's totally fine. But I, I am a card-carrying Les Mis purist, and I love this movie. And I would change almost nothing about it. I mean, you've heard my tiny little criticisms. I mean, the sewers actually last longer in the play, and they sell it with music, but it was unnecessary. Yeah. <laughs> Even Tenardi knows he'd get his ass kicked. And and, and this is, uh, although, again, a song totally not needed and actually would hold back the movie, but in the play is great, is the Tenardi so desperate that they're looking at all the dead school boys who are in the sewer and stealing their teeth fillings and rings and so forth. Just to... uh hammer home the desperation of the situation. This is disgusting. I mean, you know it's not poop, which is what makes it work. I'm glad they didn't make it look even more uh, realistic. Wait, what's going on here? Oh, there's Javert. Okay. I always forget this part. Yeah. And the faithful servant on his post once more. Right, all he cares is, is Marius getting care. All right, I would not give in. I won't be swayed. Right, he's always promising more time. All our debts are paid. One more hour. Right, he says man of mercy with derision. As always, Valjean's thinking about real people. Oh, look there. Landing in his grave. Yes, oh. This is so good. And this is after Javert is giving Gavroche his patch, his uh, medal. Oh, uh, here's the super strong man. Javert doesn't know what he's looking at. He's going to let him go. Oh, that is so much more effective. Yeah, one more step and you die. He doesn't believe it at this point. And Hugh Jackman knows it. Jean Valjean knows it. He's literally covered in shit trying to save a poor boy's life. And Javert's got nothing better but to shoot this guy in the back. And that's it, right here. That look on Russell Crowe's face, looking down. Drops the gun. And he's already deciding the suicide. And they go right to it. Look at this. Here we go. I can't remember what I thought the first time I saw this in the theater. I was too young. I think I knew it was a suicide and what suicide was. This song is brilliant, and Russell Crowe nails it. Then he gave me back my life. Boom. Oh, the strings. Then the dead of a thief. Then the final yield at the end of a chase. I am the law, and the law is not mocked. Liberty right back in it. Nothing on earth that we share. Here it comes. It's either Jav- it is either Valjean or Javert. And he's not talking about the two of them. He's talking about their worldviews. Valjean can see gray. His thoughts are flying apart. 
That's called extreme depression. Right, shall his sins be forgiven. What is he sending? Yep, that's the thing. He doesn't get God. For Jean Valjean, God would reprieve any supposed sins of Valjean. And Javert can't take it. Must I now begin to doubt? The doubts in all these years. Sorry, I love the song. What is stone and still it trembles. A world I have known is lost in shadow. Yep. He's from heaven, but Javert thought he's from hell. Right. He was hoping he was hoping that Valjean would just kill him. Look at this pause. Yes. This man has killed me even so. There's like a 10-second pause before that line comes out. He's trembling. His lips are trembling. I mean, you know, he can tell this the way no, no uh, Broadway actor could tell. And we got the camera writing on him. Foggy background. Could be a set. Live performance. I don't know. Right here. Nope. Seamless. Uh-oh. Horns are sounding... Demonic. There's no I can turn. Here I go, people. No way to go. On. Oh, the music from Stars. Pe- drops off. Boom. Do they show it? Yeah. I was actually thinking about this scene, listening to the soundtrack the other day, which made me want to do this commentary, which was that I would have okay just seeing him fall forward and have the music swell. I don't have to actually see him die, but that's Hollywood. Oh, here's Eddie Redmayne coming back to life. So the turning song is much longer and cooler in the play, what these women are singing. And it's the same melody as Lovely Ladies, which is just so bizarre. But they go into multiple verse, they go into multiple verses and choruses uh, in the play, which sells the horrible aftermath. But this sells the horrible aftermath better than anything else. And I say Eddie Redmayne's my boyfriend, but it has nothing to do with his good looks, which are quite apparent. It's his charisma and his skill. And his art. And as great as every interpretation of music in this movie is, and will continue to be, this this version of Empty Chairs and Empty Tables is worthy of an Oscar just by itself. I mean, you got Anne Hathaway in terms of her performances, and then you got this, as far as I'm concerned. He already has total perspective on it. He's filled with guilt. And I never really thought about this, but it's Jean Valjean unburdening himself onto Marius here later. I think that helps with Marius dealing with his own guilt. That you can have the best intentions and still have things go to shit. They're shooting right up on Eddie Redmayne's face right here. He's looking into the camera. He literally was looking at camera. You're not supposed to do that. For, but for a play, for a musical movie, you can do it. 
I mean, he has a very high voice for a man, but he can go low. I found that after this, my grandmother and great aunt, who are big theater people and have been seeing theater in New York literally since like the 40s, um, although they're very youthful, told me after the fact that he was, you know, kind of a cult theater star before this. Now he's a big film star. But as I said, or as I was trying to say earlier, I watch so many movies. I kind of look at them like sports in terms of prospects. And there's just something on his face here. I mean, everything before, but here, something about his look and his face. I said, this guy's a star. I'm not, I'm not claiming credit for it, but I swear to you, I knew nothing about him before this performance. I was, I was crying. I was crying. I mean, I was crying multiple times during the movie. I was tearing up, but I was literally, oh. Pull back, long shot, back into the close. Right, don't ask me what your sacrifice was for. No one knows. It's just empty chairs at empty tables. Where my friends will sing no more. That's the thing. Cosette has no one but her dad, and now he has no one but Cosette. And that's what elevates the love story, is when Valjean finally dies. It's just the two of them. They're two wealthy kids. Oh, here she is, out of nowhere. Totally theatrical. Even more surprising, because you can't see her come from off stage. Is this his uncle again, or his dad, or whoever? Yep, she's the ultimate optimist. The worst is over. Right, don't think about it, Marius. Think about me. Yep. Yep, Valjean's taking it all in. He's got PTSD, as anyone would. And that's the thing. I mean, this could be such a corny song, but I just never want to stop listening to Amanda Seyfried sing. God, her voice is literally angelic. Oh, right, she brings back heart full of love, and that brings him back to reality. Yep, she was never mine to keep. Amazing. And you never know when the actors are on stage together or not. Love is the garden of the youth. Valjean, wise in his old age. Now his father or uncle is taking him back. It's nice they don't have fingerprinting and other security technologies back then. Or he would be in jail for his role in the rebellion. Here comes the high note again. How does she hit that note? It's like... It's literally from heaven, that note. Okay, here it is. Here's Valjean unburdening. Eddie Redmayne as Marius has no idea what this is going to lead to. Right, he he wants Valjean to stay and be a father. A father to us both, a father to us all. Yep, they're both such excellent judges of character. Calls him my son. Oh, right. He has to pass it down. So here's a question. Why does he pass it down? Why does he pass it down to Marius, who he knows is going to be his son? 
Which the name he's never heard before, though we don't talk about that. And here it is. Where where is the illegality in any of this other than escaping from jail? Yeah, nineteen winters. And the look on Marius's face coming up. He's just taking it in. No judgment from Marius. You know, it's almost like John Jean Valjean almost wants Marius to come down on him, but he won't do it. He's going, oh, I get it. He gets it in a way Cosette could never get it, because he won't tell her. That somehow his past sins will disgrace Cosette. Dramatically, it totally works. Okay, here comes the most understated line ever. You're Jean Valjean. That's who you are. Yeah, he doesn't care about the past. Yeah. Does he go away and then come away? I think he does leave, but then he eventually comes back. They find him. This is a very cowardly act by Valjean, actually. He knows it's going to break her heart, even though she has Marius. For the sake of Cosette, that that is the most badass delivery. Yeah, yeah. He's not happy about all this. He wants him to stay and tell Cosette, but he's saying, all right, for the sake of Cosette, I'll let you go. Eddie Redmayne, just killing it. That's the thing. We knew Hugh Jackman, Anne Hathaway, and Russell Crowe were brilliant. So to see the, the little three, as I call them is uh, and see this is all epilogue but if you've seen the play this is as important as anything else that's gone on you know it's the thing it's a climax that just starts in the beginning and never ends and and it's almost like a sexual experience as lame as (laughs) you gotta do the whole thing go through all the motions and sometimes the middle is the best sometimes the end is the best Right, and now he has, that's the, th- as I, I mentioned before, Valjean unburdening himself to Marius helps give Marius strength, actually. And because of his leaving, it has the effect of Marius really gaining his confidence back. So, you know, it's early 1800s France. You know, women aren't going to be super empowered. What are you going to do? And <laughs> the Tenardiers are sneaking in. This was definitely in the play. I'm not sure to what extent. Oh, man, this is so great. He's swinging her around. The Tenardiers are acting like they're upper class. And again, this is a class thing. I mean, they're horrific people, but if they were good, poor people, they could never get into this thing. Oh, he knows who they are. Yeah, I can't remember how Marius knows. Uh... Okay, so what what dirt do they have now? Oh, he sa- he knows where Valjean is. Yeah, this is actually their redemption in a weird way. Could be wrong. Oh, this is them telling him that he saved him from the battle. 
he blames it on Meljan. <laughs> yeah, like, he'd be carrying around a dead person that he killed. And this was the ring, which they showed us earlier, which I guess he put back on. You know, this is constructing narratives. So they must know. Oh, Mary suspected it. But yep, he's got that instinct. He was just awake enough to put it together. The old con. All right, Marius just kicks his ass here. Yeah, it was awesome. Uh. <laughs> the convent. All right. This is great. They interrupt their own wedding to go see her adoptive father. And here the Tenardis are. <laughs> Back to the master of the house music. We know where the wind is blowing. Yeah, money is the stuff we smell. Yep, they're totally accepting they're going to hell. They don't care. Uh, that always amazes me about people. I'm not a religious person, but I, I like to have my good actions way outweigh my bad actions if possible. Yeah, yeah. He thought he was infecting his daughter somehow after all that, even though Javert killed himself. You know, that's another thing for... Yeah. I'll, I'll stop dwelling on Javert's obsession with Valjean, because that's the whole point. I mean, for him to play... Well, the thing is, he never actually has to play a young man. When he's a young man, he's in the slave mines of the shipyard or whatever, but because of his gauntness and the dirt and everything else, you know. But by the time he's Monsieur Le Maire, you know, Monsieur Madeleine with Fontaine, he, uh, he was already closing a middle age, at least in terms of the 1830s. Okay, so here's the Bring Him Home music. He's become religious in his old age. In fact, he really became religious, or at least spiritual, when the bishop saved his life. And again, I need to go back to the Hugo uh, novel, the, the real book, to see if the church was given such positive, uh, you know, rendition in a movie like this. But he does believe in God. He believes in God. And he's still tormented by a past that's way less bad than he thinks, which is part of the tragedy. But because Cosette ends up with a great man and they end up loving him even though he dies, that saves his soul, at least in his mind, even though I don't think his soul needs saving. Bring me home. He wants to die. Oh, God. So Fantine definitely comes back in his visions. Oh man, look at Anne Hathaway, just stunning. And she's got the short hair too, which is totally the right choice. You raise my child in love. She's the best of my life, and you will be with God. Yeah, it's a spiritual play. It's a spiritual play and movie. It's amazing. It totally believes in the power of, of... 
benediction and of your soul being saved. Oh, here we go. Yeah, exactly. If I were her, I'd be feeling the same way. Why did you go away, Papa? Forgiven now. She said nothing to forgive. Oh, look at her. Oh, God, she does look like an angel. All right, Marius thinks he owes him more for saving his life. Valjean would do it a thousand times. He would give his life. He thought he was going to. Right, and for Cosette to have saved him. Oh, man, I'm tearing up right now. I might start crying in the last few minutes here, people. I'm just warning you. Yeah. Not much to say. This is beautiful. Yep. Everything you need to say is on Hugh Jackman's face. I I really think they recorded these particular, you know, solo or small group performances live. I don't know. You never think of it. Here's the thing. There's no moment in this movie where I'm like, oh, that's an overdub. So if there's a lot of overdubbing, I have known. Oh, here we go. I love this. Too soon, too soon to say goodbye. She really means it. That's forbidden me down to the... Yeah, that's the thing. The one thing to keep him from dying is her, but he, even she can't do it. He says, I'll obey. But then he says, I will try. It's all about trying his whole life. Oh, he tells her. Yep. She does get to know. I really like that. I mean, you couldn't really do much female empowerment in this society, but... But she she deserves it way more than him. Why give it to a priest and you give it to your daughter? Yep. And this is the Lord of the Rings thing, where that could become the basis of some mystical, uh, magical book. And now it's Papa. They do just enough talking in this movie. And here's Anne Hathaway just killing it. It's so great to see her in peace after what we saw. And that's Cosette's mom. It's amazing. This is the mother and father of Cosette. Because it doesn't even know what's happening. I mean, yeah, this movie definitely believes in heaven. We'll see that soon. Right. All of the lying was just to cover up a, a, a sin that wasn't a sin. Oh, he dies. Oh, no. Oh, my God. Look at Amanda Seyfried. Just killing it. Oh, man, I'm tearing up. Love is everlasting, just like God. Here comes the chorus. Yep, here comes the bishop who was Valjean back in the day. This is the whole movie. To love another person is to see the face of God. If you only take one line from this whole movie or play, it's that line. To love another person is to see the face of God. That's how he's saved. That's how Marius is saved. I love that they end on Do You Hear the People Sing of all, of all the dead patriots. 
Right, and they just for a moment here have Marius and uh, Cosette hear it from heaven, you know, hearing heaven, which is, you know, a little surrealism that you don't expect on Les Mis. I totally dug it. You know, rather than just crying. Oh, there's a Benin, yep, there's that shot of Gavroche. There's the drunk guy. There's Enjoras. Yeah, baby. These guys are great. Yeah, and Samantha Barks is just gorgeous, I think. You know, she might just want to do theater. Here's the, right, the, this is the giant barricade that they could have given into temptation and maybe use for budget reasons, but to keep it like the play, you needed a much smaller barricade. But for this scene, you know, the idealized revolutionary scene where everyone in Paris is waving the flags and, and the giant barricade. Yeah, uh, with me somewhere beyond the barricade. Is there a world you long to see? Do you hear the people sing, singing near the distant drums? Great look for Man Hathaway. When tomorrow comes. Oh, here comes the harmony. Yeah, baby. Look at the shooting, Tom Hooper. Yeah, Benin, yes. Gotta end with Fantine and Valjean. Wow. I was really pulling for best film. And there it is, directed by Tom Hooper. I was really pulling for best film for this movie. The level of difficulty is extremely high in terms of the execution. And I can't remember what ended up winning for 2012. It wasn't Les Mis, although critics and viewers alike loved it, and it got a lot of love at the academies in terms of letting them perform an extended, you know, medley. Oh, yeah. And the barricades of freedom. They're playing One Day More as the credits roll. Amanda Seyfried can't say enough about the little three. Eddie Redmayne, my boyfriend. Aaron Tveit, supposedly a great guy. Played in Joel Ross and nailed it. Samantha Barks owns, you know, Eponine. Like, why even try? Why even try? Honestly, it's much I love Eddie Redmayne. You know, Samantha Barks is Eponine in this movie. I, I don't know who you replace her with. It's such a subtle but important role. With Helena Bottom Connor and Sasha Baron Cohen, they get the special guest appearances. Even though they were way more than guests. But yeah, I mean, you know, this was the best movie of that year. I mean, I know The Avengers was that year. I, I sadly did not see The Avengers in the theater. But, you know, this is as good of a Les Mis movie as I could ever hope for. I, I hope they don't do this again for many, 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 many years. Because the cast and the writing and the filming is just impeccable. And you can listen to this great music going. But it is about the revolutionary spirit. And we've got to keep hope and got to fight back and have ideals regardless of our station in life. And I'll leave you with that thought. Bizzle out. <laughs>